Amen. God is a prayer-answering God. Be thankful for that today. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question that will kind of lead us right into the sermon today. Um, how many of you ever have felt that life isn't fair? Let me just see. This is not fair. Something in your life is not fair. Well, I'm going to get into a series of messages. Really, the basis of the messages is going to be about the kingdom of God and helping us understand the kingdom of God. Because um, how many of you would also agree that the way Jesus got treated wasn't fair? How many of you would agree that Jesus having to die for your sin wasn't fair to him? So there's a lot of stuff in life that isn't fair. And I'm going to do a follow-up question. Has your work life ever seemed unfair? Oh, boy, I heard some chuckling. Nobody raised their hand on that one. Well, I want to take you to the book of Matthew chapter 20 today. And we're going to read verses 1 through 16. This is the only place in the Gospels that this parable is told. I'm titling this message today, When Life Isn't Fair, Parable of the Vineyard. Parable of the Vineyard. Really, the series is When Life Isn't Fair, to be more accurate. And the title is Parable of the Vineyard. Let's, let's look. At chapter 20, we're going to begin with verses, verse 1 and read down through verse 16. And in this, in this chapter, Jesus tells a parable about workers in a vineyard. And this parable teaches us what I want you to really grab is some principles about the kingdom of God. And it also teaches us something about the kind of attitude that we should have at our job at work. Let me just, can I just say this? Today, does it seem to you that the quality of service you receive has gone down? Does it seem like the quality of things you purchase has gone down? Um, there used to be a day and time in the United States of America where service was number one. Uh, actually, the quality of products used to be a lot higher than they are today. Now it's hard. In fact, it's, it's almost a, a challenge to find something made in the United States of America. Can I hear an amen? And um, I believe that the workers in America need to be the best in the world. And let me say this even further, that the Christian workers in America should be the cream of the crop. They should be the cream of the crop. Now, what I want you to look at in this parable is the key players in this parable are disgruntled workers. Everybody say disgruntled. Now, you may think that is a redundant term. Uh, an FBI agent was one time interviewing a business owner, and he had been the victim of a crime. 
And the FBI agent asked the owner, well, do you have any disgruntled employees? To which the business owner says, they're all disgruntled. I'm not running a daisy farm here. They're all disgruntled. But how many of it, that feels like your job? It seems like everybody's disgruntled, you know? And a lot of employers feel that way, that all their employees are terminally unhappy and perpetually disgruntled. In fact, uh, a lot of people, even outside the job, seem terminally unhappy and perpetually disgruntled. Can I hear an amen? But here's something to remember, and it applies to your relationships. This applies to your job. This applies to your spiritual life and every other, of li- other area of life. Being perpetually disgruntled drains the energy out of your existence and robs you of the joy that Christ died to give you. Amen? Be joyful in the Lord. And the Bible says to even consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter the tough stuff. Now, it's not that the tough stuff is, is fun, but in the midst of it, how much better is it to be joyful through it than to be disgruntled? So I guess if, if I'm hearing this term right, we ought to be gruntled. I mean, if you can be disgruntled, then you probably should live gruntled. How gruntled are you? <laughs> kind of sounds like a bad word, though, doesn't it? I'll, I'll go with joyous. Let's, uh, joyful sounds a little bit better. Are you ready to get in the Word? Look at this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. Now, he's saying this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, notice this. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, stop there for a moment. This employer who owned a vineyard agreed to pay these workers a denarius, which wasn't bad for a day's work in that day. Because these men were being hired, they were, they were day laborers. How many have ever gone to maybe a local Home Depot, and you see a group of guys standing out there early in the morning? How many have been there early in the morning? There's a group of guys there, and then all of a sudden, someone drives up, and some of those guys go with that vehicle. They're day laborers. That's what these guys were. And they were on the bottom, literally, of the, the rung of the socioeconomic, the social economic ladder. They did not have regular jobs, so every day they went to the marketplace hoping that a business owner would hire them for the day. And I want to just talk a little bit about the denarius. The denarius, to put this in perspective today, was a good day's pay. It was actually the same wage that a Roman soldier that was over these people we're going to get that day. So this landowner, how many of you can say he's offering a good wage, a fair deal to his worker? But let's keep reading. 
The Bible says, and he went out about the third hour. Now, let me just say this. That's around 9 a.m. So the first time he went out, it's 6 a.m. So now he goes out about the third hour, 9 a.m., and he sees others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you too go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth, 12 noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and he did the same thing. Are you with me? This landowner, he, he seems like a good guy, doesn't he? Someone who would pay a fair day's wage. Maybe, maybe if you started late, you'd only receive a portion of a denarius. But he said he'd give them what was fair. Okay? And, uh, but that'd be better going home without anything that day for, you know, no, no work. Now, we read that he's going to give them whatever was right. Now, look at verse 6. And about the 11th hour, everybody say 5 p.m., he went out and he found others standing, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you too go into the vineyard. Now, I want to make a comment here real quick before we go any further. Let's back up and not, not go any further yet. I want to give you a comment about the workers that were hired later in the day. What we need to be careful not to do is do not misinterpret their standing around as being lazy. They were not being idle. They were not trying to be lazy. They were doing all they could to get hired. Because if they were lazy, they'd have gone home. It was 5 p.m., folks. They'd have said, man, I stood here all day long. I'm not standing here anymore in the hot. I'm going home. And they couldn't get hired. So if they were lazy, they would have gone home. But instead, they stayed in the marketplace all day long because they truly wanted to work. Just nobody would hire them. And so in those days, the workers, they're paid on a daily basis. And so at the end of the day, uh, they, they would line up, and they would receive their pay. Now look, look at verse 8. And when evening had come, we're at 6 p.m. now, knockoff time. The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius for one hour's work. Now understand, these guys work the least. Instead of a 12-hour shift, like the guy's hired first. They worked about one hour. So when we think about it, they should have probably received one-twelfth partial payment, maybe 10% of a denarius. That would have been fair, right? Instead, they received an entire day's pay. Now, they must have been ecstatic. And remember, the owner, Jesus said, is a fair and just owner. This is a type of God. God is fair and God is just. 
But let's keep reading. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, and they also received each one a denarius. And when they received it, they got disgruntled. They grumbled at the landowner, and they said, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But the landowner answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me? For a denarius, take what is yours and go your way, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Now watch this. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? In other words, can I do with my money what I want to do with it? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? Jesus then said thus, The last shall be first, and the first last. Now, for some of us today, that may just seem like it reiterates the unfairness that we find in the world. That looks like God's being unfair. But you know, a lot of times when Jesus would tell a parable, something prompted it. I would encourage you today to read through... uh, Matthew chapter 19, but particularly in the last uh, verses of chapter 19, I'm going to read verses 27 through 30. Just listen to this. Unless you have your Bible, you can, you can follow along there. But it just says that Peter answered and said to him, behold, listen to this, we have left everything and we have followed you. What then Will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake, shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, coming this June, I'm going to be celebrating 49 years of knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But I want to tell you today that if there has been a man who has committed murder, committed adultery, was a thief, would harm you in the nighttime if he could, was found guilty, went before a judge, was charged, put in jail, and in prison found Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and tomorrow he dies and just finds him today. And tomorrow he dies 
He's going to have the same eternal life I will have when I die. Does that seem fair? I've put in 49 years into this. He put in one day, less than. Rewards come later. Salvation comes now. You see, this is what God is showing us in this passage of Scripture. He's showing His grace. He's saying, I want to be merciful. In fact, He even said this to Moses. He said, I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. I will show grace to whom I will show grace. And God was showing Peter, listen, Peter, I know you've given up fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and houses and farms and and all of that. I mean, Jesus stayed in Peter's mom's house. Jesus touched her and she was made well. I mean, he he was acquainted with, with what Peter had left behind, but he was also saying to him, listen, ultimately what I do for him, that's my business and his business. Because ultimately what Jesus is saying here is that when, when this landowner hired them, they all agreed to what he was going to give them. But what happened is, is there was this feeling of, that's not fair. There are some other lessons we can learn in this parable. One is that it teaches us about God's grace. As I said, everybody is accepted on the same level, given the same salvation, whether you're Billy Graham or a beggar on the street. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you've been living for Jesus since you could talk and somebody lives for Jesus at the very end of their life. But there are some other lessons that I want us to really learn in this parable, lessons that teach us the kind of attitude. Everybody say attitude that we should have in our work life, our spiritual life, our home life, our married life. How many of you ever, don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you sometimes need an attitude adjustment? How many of you wives would amen that? Some of you husbands, you would amen that. Some of you parents, you would amen that. Needs an attitude adjustment. I think Americans today need an attitude adjustment. And I believe that if we make some adjustments according to the kingdom of God, if we live kingdom-minded, it will help us live in America a whole lot better. Can you say amen to that? I want to mention four attitude adjustments that we find in this Scripture. Number one, if you get what you agreed to, Accept it with gratitude. In this parable, the workers who were hired first agreed to work a full day, 12 hours for that one denarius. Good pay for a good day's work, as I said earlier. And at the end of the day, they got exactly what they were told. The, the guy who hired him was dead on. He, he gave him exactly what he said he would. One denarius. That should have been the end of it. But it wasn't because some of the workers received a better hourly rate than they did, although the amount was the same. I want to just say this and make it plain. Somebody, somewhere, no matter what you do, there will be someone, somewhere, who has a better deal than you do. 
Someone who makes more money for what appears to be the same kind of work or even less. Someone whose working conditions are a little bit more favorable than yours. Can I hear an amen? Someone whose job requirements are a little less demanding than yours. There may, there may be they have a nicer office. It may be that they have a better desk. It may be they've got a better chair. It may, whatever it is, you will always find someone who has something that you don't. In fact, there was a company that I read about this week that hired two staff members at the very same time. One was a man, one was a woman. Man's name was Mark, woman's name was Mary. The jobs were different, yet they were considered parallel to each other, so the pay for both jobs was the same, identical. Now, this was an acceptable agreement until it came time for job reviews, and some bosses began to say, you know what, Mark has a higher degree. He's in charge of more people. There are four people in Mark's family, and there are three people in Mary's. So Mark should get more money. And then Mary's supporter spoke up and said, well, Mary, she's a single mom. She doesn't have a working spouse, so she should get more money. And actually, Mary is older. She's been working in this area longer than Mark. And even though Mary doesn't have a doctorate, she's got two master degrees, and Mark has only one, so she should get more money. And on and on it goes. And suddenly, two previously productive staff members became disgruntled and ineffective in doing their jobs because each of them felt like they're being shortchanged. How many times has this happened in the world? So when Mark got a raise in pay, he was happy. He was happy. He looked at his check, and he was happy until he found out Mary got the same pay again. And he said, it's not fair. I do more than she does. And, of course, Mary felt the same way. She was happy with her pay raise until she found out Mark got the very same thing. And the sad thing is, both of them became less productive from that day forward. Folks, can you see how God's Word can even affect the workplace? The kingdom of heaven is like the workplace. This can easily happen. But if we will put it in our mind to accept it with gratitude, whatever we've agreed to do, just approach our job, approach our ministry, approach our marriage, approach our lives with a sense of wonder and appreciation because God is blessing our life and we have a job. So, if you're prone to being disgruntled, There will always be someone who's got a better deal than you. Just mark it. How many have ever felt this to be true? It's not what you know. It's who you know. How many have ever seen somebody get something? It's not they didn't know more than you do. It's just that they knew somebody you didn't know. And so they got the job, and they're actually less qualified. So, Secondly, and it's closely related to the first principle, focus on what you should be doing, not on what others should be doing. Amen? The workers who were hired first became disgruntled because, as we've already seen, they were not happy with the deal the newer workers were given. And their unhappiness can be traced back ultimately 
to a critical attitude towards their employer. They didn't like the way he was running his business. They wanted him to, or they wanted to tell him who to hire, when to hire, how to spend his money, but they forgot a crucial truth that many workers forget, and we oftentimes can forget in the kingdom of God because we're working for the king. They often forget that the owner is the owner, and they, as owner, can spend their money any way they want, and they can run their business their way. Why? Because it's theirs. So if we have a job, if we work for an individual, if we work for a company, I can guarantee this, from time to time, your boss is going to make a decision that you disagree with. He or she may hire people you don't think should be hired. He or she may introduce a product that you don't think is profitable. He or she may implement procedures you think are stupid. And when that happens, you've got to remember who's the boss and who gets to make those decisions. You say, well, Pastor, how in the world can I do that? The Bible talks about it. Does that surprise you? <laughs> Look at Colossians chapter 3. i got the Scripture up here for you, verses 23 and 24. Your focus should be on doing your job well. Paul gives us this reminder. In verse 23, he says, whatever you do. Everybody say, whatever I do. Work heartily with all your heart as to the Lord and not to men. Boy. Why should I do that? Next verse. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Amen. Walmart might be your employer, but God is your Lord. And you're working for Him via Walmart. See what I'm saying? And so whatever we do, Paul gives us this great wisdom. Whatever you do, work for the Lord, not for men. And, and in other words, whatever you're doing, know your real boss is the Lord. When you, when you do something, seek to serve him, to glorify him, to honor him, knowing that your inheritance, your final paycheck is from the Lord, not man. I remember one day when I was, I was, a, I was a service attendant. Remember the days when you went into a service station? It was actually called a service station, not just a gas station. And you actually, somebody came up to your car and asked what they could help you with. And they filled up your tank. And if you wanted the oil uh, checked, they'd check your oil. If you, they would always clean your windshield. I was that guy. I was the service attendant. And I remember having these beautiful cars come in. Oh, man, I loved Corvette. Man, when the Corvette came in, I liked the Corvette. I love, to, I love to wash the, the, the window of the Corvette. There's not another car that's got a windshield like a Corvette or a back shield. I mean, it's just, all, it's just really nice. But then a long time, here comes a Ford Galaxy. And it's an old Ford Galaxy. And it's in Oklahoma in the summertime when the grasshoppers are thick. So you know what's on the, the, the windshield. You got grasshopper guts. And they don't smell good. In 110 degrees with 90% humidity. Well, I don't know if it's 110, but it's at least 101, probably 90-some percent humidity. And I mean, it stunk, and it's like, man, I don't even want to wash that window. And the Lord said, that's my car. I'm like, what? He's like, that's my car. I'm like, yes, sir. And I wash it just like it's Jesus' car. 
doesn't matter if it's a Ford Galaxy or if it's a Chevrolet Corvette. You treat it like it's God's. Amen? It's like, man, if this person doesn't care about their vehicle, why should I? No, it's not their vehicle. It's Jesus' vehicle. So if you treat every customer like they're Jesus coming through, if you treat every person like they're Jesus coming through, oh, man, doesn't that change life? How would you treat Jesus? That's how you need to do your work. Number three. Everybody saying okay, amen, oh my, help me. (laughs) Number three, don't get offended by someone else's blessing. These guys got offended for these last guys' blessing. They, 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 They had a good deal, but as they see these other workers working really probably less than an hour by the time it took them to get them where the, the, the guy picked them up to the field. They, maybe they worked 45 minutes. Who knows? And sometimes that happens. Sometimes people get a blessing and you don't. I mean, I've seen sometimes people, pastors, get blessings in churches of people. Their, their church just seems to grow. And they're not really, you ask them the secret of it, and they're like, I don't know. They're just people, they just, they just keep coming. And you're like, man, there's no secret. No, they just, they just love us. I just lost them. Kind of basking in the sun, you know, suntan. Like, man, how you do that? And you look at it and you say, Lord, man, I've been working hard. I've been praying hard. I've been preaching hard. I've been, I've been, I've been teaching hard. I've been reaching hard. What's up with that? No. Don't get offended by someone else's blessing. Be happy. They got blessed. What would have happened had that same person who got hired on hour one, once he came up to get his denarius, say, you know what? I want to tell you, thank you for giving me the job today. Thank you for giving me what you said you were going to give me. And man, that was awesome. Can I just say what you did to this guy that came in on the last hour? That was awesome. There ought to be more people like you in the world. That's awesome. Who knows? That dude could have said, you know what? For those kind words you gave me, here's ten more denarius. Who knows? Could happen. You just never know. Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Some people are going to get a windfall someday. Sometimes they're going to get a blessing that just comes out of nowhere. They'll receive it and you don't. It doesn't happen every day, but when it does happen, let them enjoy it and be glad for them. Man, I got a new car, and you need a new car. And you're like, man, God, why don't I have a new car? Instead, say, God, bless th- thank you for blessing them for that car. Man, that's awesome. It's awesome you got to drive a new car. Can I ride with you? That'd be awesome. Let's go down and get a Coke. I'm gonna, I'll buy you a Coke. Let's go get a Coke. Pepsi, whatever. Begrudging the blessings of others that they receive will not increase the number of blessings in our life. Nor will it diminish their blessing. 
they're still going to wind up blessed at the end of the day when they put their head on the pillow. Do you see what I'm saying? We can live gruntled or joyous or disgruntled. Man, I just don't like that word. All it does is make you miserable. So when the people around you get more than you think they deserve, be happy for them. Amen? In fact, the Bible talks about that. Bless those who have been blessed. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Amen? How many know sometimes when you're mourning and you're feeling low and someone, they're always just trying to, to, to make you joy. Sometimes you just need to weep with that person. You just need to feel what they're feeling. Shut up and let them be hurting for a while and walk with them in it. Jesus does that. It's not about you. It's about them. It's not about what you went through. It's about what they're going through. And we've looked at three principles that we can work from the worker, or we, we can learn from the workers who were hired first. But the final principle that I want us to look at, I want us to look at it from the perspective of those who were hired last. As I mentioned earlier, these are day workers. These are people life's already tough on. Lowest class of worker in society. They don't have a regular job. Every day they're dependent upon someone else to hire them to work for one day at a time. And this, this parable, some of these men went to the marketplace early in the morning seeking employment, but they weren't the first ones hired, but they didn't leave. Third hour came around, still weren't hired. Noon came around, still weren't hired. Three o'clock came around, still were hired. Now, most people, most people would say, forget it, man. <laughs> In fact, so many people today would have probably been gone at 9 a.m. I'm just going to go play video games. Nobody going to hire me? Are you with me? They didn't get discouraged. They continued to wait in the marketplace, even though they weren't standing around. The Bible says, doing, they didn't say, well, it looks like no one's going to hire me today, so I may as well go home. Woe is me. Nothing good ever happens to me. I'm just going to get an Eeyore complex, find my little black rain cloud. Where'd it go? No, they continued in the marketplace. Even though they were standing around doing nothing. Even though it felt like life was unfair. Why did those guys get hired and I didn't get hired? They could have said that. They weren't avoiding work. They were waiting for the opportunity to work. And that's why they remained in the marketplace, just in case someone came along later in the day willing to hire more workers. These men knew if they went home, they'd never get hired. But if they stayed in the marketplace, maybe, just maybe, someone would offer them a job for the day, and even a few hours' pay was better than nothing at all. So they kept themselves, listen to this, positioned for possibilities. Position yourself for possibilities. And what happened? They got more than they could have hoped for, they actually got a full day's pay and didn't have to work as long as those other dudes. Keep yourself positioned for possibilities. And, and if you give up and you quit, as soon as it looks like you're not going to get the breaks you need or you think that you deserve, you close the door. 
Everybody say, I do it. You close the door on the good things that can happen in your life. You do that. Not God. Not someone else. So many people today saying, well, if I only had the opportunity. No, you need to stay in there because you're, you're, you're quitting too fast. You say, well, my marriage is not like yours, Pastor. Well, hang in there. My marriage, it takes work to make a marriage good. As awesome as Sherry is, she does not always think the way I think. As awesome as I am in her eyes, I don't always think the way she thinks. And sometimes we can even be on a, on a walk, and can I just share a little bit about our private life? And you're like, ooh, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> Sherry's like, David, sometimes you can be so stubborn. And I'm like, thank you. In things that matter, that's important. But it can also be, I wasn't meaning it that way. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what do you mean? She said, you don't want to know. But that's how we work through it. And I was like, really, is that, is that, is that, is that how I am? She's like, hmm. It's like, okay, well, sometimes. And she says, sometimes. I'm like, okay. But I'm going to tell you something. Being stubborn against the devil, you don't know what, you never want to stop on that. You know what I'm saying? You see, God did not give you a spouse so that you could just live life any old way you wanted to. I mean, if you're always thinking the same, one of you is unnecessary. Guys, your wife will give you perspective. Sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, you don't even know the half of it. You give me perspective. But ladies, sometimes, listen to me, you need to let your guy be the guy. You see, we got a lot of marriage problems in the world today because the guy has nearly been emasculated. A guy is not a woman. A man doesn't think like a woman. A big idea here. If, in case you didn't, ladies, in case you didn't know that, we don't think like you think. In fact, sometimes us guys, we don't have to think about anything. It's like, honey, what are you thinking? Nothing. I was like, well, how can you not be thinking of anything? I don't know. Well, what's on your mind? Nothing. Well, don't lie to me. I know you're thinking about something. Nope, crickets. Chirp. There's nothing up there. I'm just, no. Because sometimes it's tiring to think. It's tiring to have something on your mind. Guys are different. You ladies, you can be in 15 rooms at the same time and be doing all the things together. And we're like, whoa, wait, hold on. I'm right here. I'm back in this room. I can't be all of those places. Let me take care of this business, and then I'll deal with that business. Men and women are different. If you're born a man, be grateful you're born a man. If you're born a woman, be grateful you're born a woman. I would not want to be a woman. 
And you women, you don't want to be a man. But I want to tell you something. Sometimes somebody's got to make the decision. And in the kingdom of God, in a marriage underneath God, God says, dude, that's your deal. Rise up and be the dad. Rise up and be the husband. She needs you to tell her what we're going to do now. I've told you what to do. Now let's go ahead and do it. Stand up and be the man. But sometimes God has to say, hey, ladies, let him lead. Stop taking the reins. It's the Eve curse. Want to dominate. No, stop stop taking my steering wheel. I can't even drive us where we need to go. How many had those conversations and you're, you're like, well, baby, where do you want to go eat today? She's like, I don't know. You're like, well, honey, we're, how about we eat Mexican food? Okay. Okay, we'll do that. I'm getting hot. Maybe I'm preaching something I shouldn't. I don't know. No, it's what I should be preaching. And then you get there and she's like, I don't like this place. It's like, well, you said you didn't really care where we go to eat. It's like, well, I don't like this place. Guys, you're just like, okay, let's go home. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I got to get off this, don't I? But do you see how the devil comes in to try to mess stuff up? In our society, there are things that guys need to be doing. In families, there are things women and only women can do. Only mamas can do. You know what? I love my dad. I love my mom. I love them. I love them the same, but I love them for different things. I go to my dad for certain things. I go to my mom for certain things. Not to work them against one another, just that dad's going to do things a little different. Mom's going to say something a little bit different. That's why we need mom and dad. So make sure you're always in a position where God can bless you. And let me just say this as I close. Really what it comes down to is holiness. Just being holy. Just living righteously. Living right before God. When God says, you know what, David? Sure, he's right on that. Don't stand there and go, no, I'm not like that. That's pride. So you know what? I see what you're saying. You're right. I was wrong. You know what? It's not that hard. It's not that hard to say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And then when he does, forgive him and let it go. Guys, same thing. She says she's sorry. Forgive her. Let it go. Move on. Holiness in your work, in your job, at home, at school, in the church, it's expressed through an attitude of generosity, of grace. It's an attitude that says, you know what? It's okay if God blesses you more than He blesses me because He's already given me more than I deserve. Stand to your feet, if you will. While you stand, can I just say that once we take our eyes off of everyone else, 
and we get focused on what we're supposed to be doing, that's when you open the door for God to bless you in a great way. Bow with me. Father, today, we want to learn this principle of the kingdom because we do live in a world where we often feel like this is just not fair. We're a lot like the one psalmist who who said, Lord, it just seems like the wicked are the one prospering and the righteous are not. But, Lord, we know that you are the ultimate judge. And, Lord, what we do we do for you. I pray we'd recommit ourselves to that. Let us today recommit to living holy lives and recommit to whatever we do to do it as unto you and not for man, knowing we'll receive the reward from you. And this is in all aspects of life. Today, Lord, forgive us if we've been disgruntled Forgive us, Lord, if we have not done what you've given us to do with joy. And may this day mark a new day where we have been changed and brought closer to you, knowing that you care for us more than we could ever even know. So take us through this week, Lord, understanding this parable of the vineyard, and Lord, knowing that your kingdom principles will win out in the end. Help us not grow weary in well-doing for we will reap if we do not grow weary. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you got something out of that. Next Sunday, we're going to look a little bit more at, at this subject. God bless you. Have a great week.